0: welcome to stop telling and start listening with david cook if you're frustrated with the way we are speaking or not speaking to each other if you find yourself easily at odds in your conversations with people this may be just the show for you listen in as david and his guests will help you elevate your communication skills and navigate the tensions present in many conversations today now here is david cook
1: Hey, good afternoon, everybody. This is David Cook. Um, I'm the host of Stop Telling and Start Listening, and welcome to our show today. Um, it's July three. This is kind of a weird spot. Who, I wonder how many people are actually working today, but um, hopefully, we'll have more people listening because uh, they're not working and they're looking for something to do. And find two guys are going to have a really cool conversation. It would be a nice way to nice way to look at this opportunity. Um, my guest today is um, Al Winsman and Al and I met, um, we were, uh, he's doing some um, consulting work as am I with my client. Uh, Al works for Gallup and he talks about um, employee engagement. And it's kind of interesting because I I didn't think of Al as a guest on my show when I started doing the show. But as I talked to Al and I was listening to his wisdom and his nuggets and um, his experience, I thought, you know, this would be a great conversation. And you uh, Thankfully, um, Al didn't say no, he said yes. And so here he is, you know, Al, thank you for uh, joining us today.
2: Yeah, well, thank you, Dave, and thank you for inviting me. This will be fun, looking forward to it. You
1: know, uh, engagement, you know, especially when we're talking about, we say Gallup and survey, it's an engagement, it sounds very corporate. And we're definitely going to cover, you know, some of that. But the more, the reason that you um, jumped out at me as a, as a potential guest is, when, you know, engagement goes along way beyond the, you know, the corporate application, um, you know, engagement, we're looking for connection. We're looking for ways to be uh, for people to, for us to connect with people, have relationships with people. Um, you know, we have committees, we have groups, we have teams, we have families, we have churches, we have schools, we have corporations. And all that is at some place a way, shape or form engagement, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's interesting how you mention that because um, I just want to start a little bit here with with how I've come to, and I, I've been with Gallup now going on twenty three years, and so I've 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 been a consultant around uh, around engagement, uh, creating better places to work, also strengths development, focusing on what's right with people instead of fixating on what's wrong. Um, but when I think about engagement and 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 why this, I think crosses over and has some of those connections is because when I think about engagement at work, it's really about two things. Number one, I want to do meaningful work. Mm-hmm. And number two, I want to feel valued, respected, and appreciated for doing that work. Uh, that's basically it, feeling valued, respected, and appreciated for doing meaningful work. And now that means different things to different people, which is why we've got our 12 elements of engagement that to help us measure that. But I think to your point, Isn't that what we're all looking for in life Mm -hmm. is to do is to have meaning, to do something meaningful and then feel valued, respected, and appreciated. I mean, I I think that's core to being human. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, very much so. And I think that that that's why it jumped out at me without a doubt. Cause it's like, yeah, that this, cause everything that we've talked about in, in our, in our interactions is just that is, is that am I, am I feeling a sense of purpose? Am I feeling a sense of value? am I enjoying what I'm doing? I mean, is the you know, obviously work is hard, you know, so that, you know, we're not going to say it's easy and fun, you know, because that's, you know, that's a sloppy word. But there's got to be something that energizes me, right? Showing up every day, I have to, I, I, you know, if I'm not feeling energized, there's something missing. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, and that that goes back to what uh, Don Clifton, uh, Dr. Don Clifton, the father of the strength psychology, and really the the founder of our company, uh, SRI uh, which in the mid 1980s acquired Gallup and kept the Gallup name, uh, but Don was really driven by this thought about a, a couple of thoughts. One was, what would what would happen if we start focusing on what's right with people instead of fixating on what's wrong? Mm. And second, what if we made great places to work? Because here was what was behind his interest in in the workplace. He said, and this was back in the 1950s and 60s, and it's still true today. He said, so many people come, come home from work and, and their jobs just suck the life right out of them. And you know, they have nothing left for some of the most important aspects of their life. What if work was energizing? What if work added meaning to life? What if you found some, some way to fulfill your purpose? That would make a huge difference in all other aspects of life. And so that really began Don's quest to focus on what's right with people, and then create great places to work because in don's mind and i i believe he was absolutely right this
1: would make the world a better place Mm -hmm. yeah i I think he's well absolutely correct it's funny though you know, we talked about um i was as you were talking about you know coming home and having the you know the, the work just sucking the life out of you i was thinking of uh and i wish i could remember where it was but it was uh this the Somebody said, you know, you know, you work, you could work at the same place for years, you do the same job for years and years and years, you come home, you sit down, you pour yourself a, you know, one or two martinis and you just kind of decompress after the day. And I'm thinking, yeah, you know, that's not much of an existence. Mm -hmm. If you, if, if, if that's what you got to do to, to unwind is to fall in a chair and collapse.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
2: Well, and here's the thing: why this is so important. Um, our, our new CEO, uh, John Clifton, um, he, uh, um, he 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 took the reins at Gallup uh, just about a year ago. Yeah, it was July first uh, last year. And in the fall, published what I think is one of the most important books uh, for world leaders, and that's it's called "Blind Spot: mm-hmm. The Rise in Global in Global Unhappiness and How the World's Leaders Missed It." And we've been looking at this for over a decade. And what we found is we, is we find both in the way people evaluate their life and the way they experience their life, that unhappiness around the world has been rising. Now, you might say, well, yeah, it has been. We've just come out of a global pandemic. Of course, that's going to have an effect. Yes, but this was happening pre-pandemic. This has been a decade in the making. And when we find the levels of, 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 of unhappiness rising to certain levels we find all kinds of negative social aspects and 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 and, and 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 negativity within uh within governments all kinds of things bad things happen that can be linked to this rising global unhappiness and the sense of not having a purpose mm-hmm. and and where this kind of ties in together is that when we look at this in terms of of looking at the workplace other than sleeping, we spend most of our day, most of our day hours at work. That's right. what we do. And 20%, a full 20% of the world's population is miserable at work. There are about 20%. It's right about 20%, because, yeah, it's a little less than 23%. So it's like 18%. When we look at the at the 23% of the world's population who's engaged, we have another 18% are actively disengaged, and the actively disengaged are miserable. Then you've got that big middle group of about 50-ish, 50-60%, and they're just going through the motions. It's like you know, I just want to go to work, stay out of trouble, go home on time, and hope nobody bothers me. But you got that—you you got a full group globally that are just miserable at work. And you think about how many hours we spend at work yeah to just be going through the motions or be absolutely miserable the difference that that makes and 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 that's where looking at at at, at you know fixing the global workplace because it's so important because again it has that profound effect on other aspects of our life and we look at well-being and uh we were the kind of the, the the first to kind of look at this back in 2007 we did the original research on the five elements of well-being Career, physical, financial, social and community well-being um, and and so we started looking at that and then coming out of the pandemic, some of you know corporate America was really focused on how do we help people's well-being? But here's the other thing that's happened too that we've seen now kind of a shift in what and what employees want. They want a job that adds to their well-being. They want their they want their employer to care about their well-being. And that's a huge, huge thing. So all of this, what we're seeing, I think, is, is, is kind of what I would say the end of compartmentalization. Mm. And work is a part of who we are and what we do. And it's, and it's, it's, it's our, our lives are, are a tapestry woven of whole cloth. And all of these different factors that come in make that great life. And what we do in work is a huge part of that. And it affects our well-being. It affects our relationships with others. I mean, you think about it this way. (laughs) One of the things we found, which is, is that, you know, the, there's a pretty decent percentage of people who say, yeah, my, my experience of work has caused me to treat my friends and family poorly. Mm. You know, you think about all of these things, these factors coming together and the stresses that are there. And, and as we've, we've talked about this. When we think about the role that a manager plays in this, it's about it's about conversations. Right? It's about conversations. It's about it's about having those conversations, those meaningful conversations. Yeah. And so so again, it's global in nature, and it isn't just work, it's everything. And you think about, you know, if if we could come in and feel in our in our in our families and friends situations where we feel like we're doing something meaningful, like we're adding purpose, and we feel valued and respected and appreciated. And I think the thing about kids, right, feeling valued, respected and appreciated, how important that is for their development
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, and and the kinds of of, of of adults they grow to be
1: right because yeah, that the environment that they're raised in determines a lot and it's environmental. you know um, that's an interesting point. What was it valued? Valued, valued, respected, and appreciated for doing meaningful work. Valued, respected, and appreciated for doing meaningful work. You know, you talked about um, the fact that the work is bled over into our personal life and in so many respects. Um, When you talk about that, it's, you know, kind of like I'm seeing a couple of different things. First of all is... um, you know, it's it's that's it's been bleeding over a long time because of cell phones and the way we try to work at home, you know, with the remote work and all that other stuff. But I think what you're talking about is the impact, the influence of work, that experience, the emotional energy, the pluses and the minuses, the whatever, engagement, disengagement. Mm-hmm. You're talking about, you know, the the psychological, emotional things that we now bring home with us as a result of. What what work is like because that that's what you're talking about right?
2: Yeah, yeah, and 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 I think I think we're seeing kind of an acceleration of this because we started seeing this happen about a decade ago when when we would ask you know the kind of the the, the great American dream or the great global dream questions what do you want in life and we would hear things you know as recently as you know the the the, the turn of the 21st century people would say things depending on where they lived in the world. Uh, prosperity, peace, freedom, clean water, you know, wherever it might be. But then we started seeing things started coalescing around one thing. And this is pretty predominant now is what the world wants more than anything else is a good job. Mm. And part of the thinking is if I've got a good job, I can make the rest of this happen. Wow. And 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 one of the things that we see is jobs give give people hope and they give people a future, mm-hmm. and and that's where we start seeing that the importance of that. It's, it's not about. And here, this is this is one thing that that the millennial generation has taught us. You know, they're born between uh, nineteen eighty and nineteen ninety six. They're they're uh, they're entering their forties now you know, that, that, that leading edge, <laughs> they're wow. in the early forties. So they're not kids anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so we can't call them those, those millennials. Yeah. You know. <laughs> no, they're, it's the largest population in the workforce uh, mm-hmm. in the U S and globally, even more so, but the greatest percentage of workers. But one of the things that they've done is really just kind of, uh you know, blow up the whole myth of work-life balance because, it, because, Work-life balance assumes that life is a zero-sum game, and on a scale, when you're on a scale, an old-time scale, you've got to take away from one and add to the other in order mm-hmm. to achieve balance. But what they talk about is what 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 we've seen is it's not work-life balance; it's a healthy work-life integration, and that's what we're looking at. It's this healthy work-life integration of being able to you know work as part of who I'm. And, and the expectation—I want to have a great life, and a great life includes a great job, and that—that—that that, that helps make part of that, and it integrates. And the flexibility, right? And and also too, what has really kind of been a huge culture shock is—is—is is, is what we've seen here, you know, through the pandemic. Uh, one person said, you know, it's really dragged us forty years into the future in terms of remote work. Um, and the expectation is, if the work, can be, if the job can be done remotely, I expect to be able to do it remotely.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: and and how then looking at life and how does my work impact my life? And it's really come more to the forefront. But yeah, that whole idea of, of, of how then, you know, acknowledging it because it was there before, as you said, right? You know, work impacts life, life impacts work. But now it's, you know what? Life is of a whole cloth. And this is a component that makes up that tapestry.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's funny because uh one of the things uh years ago I it was it, it the reminder that millennials are now in their 40s. Um, because I'm thinking <laughs> I'm thinking about you know talks that I've gave and stuff at ASU, you know, Arizona State here and stuff like that to you know students who are graduating. And I realize now that they were graduating college when I was working with them and giving talks to them. Back in 2010, 2012, so yeah, you know, if there were 22 then they're 32 <laughs> to 35 now, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, but w- when when I was working with them at the time, what I really loved about it was because they I felt like they were changing the rules of the game
3: mm-hmm.
1: and all the things that you know me I'm you know I'm 66, so I'm at the other end of the spectrum, right, but all the things that I we we were taught about work is you got a job, you worked hard you know, head down, do what was asked of you. And you didn't really push a lot of buttons or fight for a change. You just kind of like went with the flow and accepted it for what it was. And if the job sucked, then you go get another job, right? Or if you get laid off, you go find another one. But it's interesting because the millennials, you know, with, which is what I'm referencing here is they just kind of said, you know, yeah, I'm not feeling it. I'm out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> or, or I don't see it. I'm I'm not joining. And I loved it because I found it really refreshing, but it was so disruptive to the established culture, me, because we're used to just, you know, plugging people in and say, okay, shut up and do your job. And these guys are going, no, I'm not going to shut up and do my job. I want to know, you know, why am I doing this? Is this important? I mean, what's what are we doing this for? How come? and. Yeah. And and my favorite story is um, I was uh, working with a client in, in the San Francisco area, and he had a, a – it was a small company. He had a rule that every Thursday afternoon was cold call Thursday. And everybody in the company had to designate oh. from like 1 o'clock to 4 o'clock or 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock in the afternoon to make cold calls, including oh. including the designer and all, all that stuff. And the designer, she was like 25 <laughs> years old. And I remember one time she goes, go, you know, Dan – I'm just not feeling it. I'm going home. And he says, he looks at me, he goes, Dave. He goes, you know, I can't keep her. I says, Dan, look at, before she goes, (laughs) tell her what you expect of her, you know, in terms of results, and then let her go home. He says, why? It's because at 8 o'clock tonight, she's going to make those phone calls, or 6 o'clock tomorrow morning, she's going to do it on her term, her way. But if you clear, if you're clear with your expectations, she will deliver. She's just not going to deliver in the style, fashion, and time frame that you desire, but she will del- deliver the results if you're clear on what you expect. And he had so much trouble with that. But sure enough, the next day she showed up and she did more than the rest of us.
2: <laughs> oh, I love that. That that is such a strengths-based way to do things because kind of a strengths-based philosophy is define the outcomes. And then let each person find his or her own best route. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 what works. I love that. I'm just not feeling it. I'm I'm going home. Yeah. Then when I am feeling
1: it, I'll make the calls. <laughs> yeah. And they were, you know, obviously they. You know, back to the idea of work, yeah. you know, but you know, like you said too, if work can be done remotely,
2: mm-hmm. then
1: I expect to be able. That's basically what she said 15 years ago. Yeah. I'm not feeling it in this environment mm-hmm. right now. I'm going to go to my environment and see how I feel about it. And then obviously that, that change in environment, whatever it did for her, the freedom to do it her way Mm -hmm. set her up for success. Um, And fortunately, you know, I'll I'll give, I'll give myself credit for being the good coach, but fortunately she had a coach that saved her boss from firing her. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. I thought it was I thought it was a great lesson for all of us because we we you know I, I operate in a paradigm of you know this is the way I expect it done. I in and, and as a manager sometimes we look over people's shoulders and mm-hmm. try to figure out why they're doing things a certain way and thinking like I hired them because they have the skills. Mm-hmm. Can't I trust them with their ability to execute in the in a process that's that that reflects their skills?
2: Yeah, and that's so important because the The relationship you have with your manager is the most important relationship you have at work and if 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 you if if you made the right decision in the first place and hired the right person, right and and got a good fit to role, you should be able to trust people to do the job now. is there a learning curve? Absolutely, mm-hmm. but you ought to be able to trust people to do the job you hired them to do mm-hmm. and And part of that trust and why we're starting to see see the shift is kind of moving from what we call moving from being a boss to being a coach. And, and that's where we see that, that, you know, because, because coaches have ongoing conversations and coaches ask questions, um, and coaches, coaches help you perform better, not by asking you to do something different. I mean, it's like, uh, just using a sports analogy, you're not going to make your, your all-star defensive tackle into a wide receiver because everybody needs to learn how to do every job. No they don't. <laughs> you Correct. help them do you help them perform where they're at their best. And the thing of the conversations is 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 people don't like to be checked up on. But they love to be checked in with. There's a difference between checking in and checking up. Mm-hmm. And and when my manager checks in with me and says, "Hey, what what are you working on right now, and how's it going? Is there anything I can do to help? Man, those that is that is one of the simplest conversations to have, but can be really engaging. And and that's what we found is is that, and this is when our 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 uh, our, 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 our he's still currently chairman of the board, but our outgoing CEO uh, when he's getting ready to step down last year, Jim Clifton asked our chief scientist Jim Harder, hey, if there's one thing that we've learned through these you know about two, two plus decades of studying engagement. Um, what's one thing, if there's this one thing we're going to tell managers to do that would improve the engagement of their team, what would it be? Here's the research, a meaningful conversation once a week with each employee. Mm-hmm. And the average length of that conversation, 15 to 30 minutes, closer to the 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Because if you're having them regularly, they don't have to be long. Mm-hmm. But a meaningful conversation that focuses on my de- on my development, celebrates my 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 victories, focuses on my strengths, looks ahead to how I can get more of that kind of performance. I mean that that's the whole key and 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 what you do, you know, is is let's have help people have those conversations. because hmm. you know, those the, the power in the conversations, if you want to change a culture, you have to change the conversations.
1: Definitely. That's a that's a really good point. So people, say that quote again. People don't like to be checked in. They don't like to be checked up on. Checked up on, <laughs> but they like to be checked in with. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like to be checked up on and checked in with are, you know, two those are very distinctive words. Yeah. Because checked up on, you know, sounds like what do you, you know, like I'm I'm reviewing your work, I'm looking mm-hmm. over your shoulder, and checked in with has a very collaborative mm-hmm. um engaged you know conversation as opposed to you know, checked in on would be still. I'm looking over your shoulder, I'm you know, I'm tasking, mm-hmm. and you know, very powerful, very powerful. So, tell me, um, you know, what are your thoughts on because we talk a little bit about disruption and we we're talking about you know, millennials and disruption, but um, over the last you know, including the pandemic, we went from people working. People working in the office, common being commandeered into the office. And we see a lot of traditional businesses trying to make people go back. And there's a significant resistance. In fact, I'm finding it interesting is that I, the workforce to me feels very empowered to say no. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, And I think there's a lot of companies that are going to be surprised that people might opt to quit or find another job as opposed to be intimidated mm-hmm. to come back to the office. But that's that's Dave pontificating. What what are your thoughts on that?
2: Oh, well, no, you're seeing the reality of all of our research shows is uh, we've got... Um, so again if the if the job can be done remotely, I expect to be able to do it remotely, and if I can't, I'll go look somewhere else. That's kind of the new reality that wasn't there pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, but that but that's the expectation. and the what we know is that hybrid work, and this is true pre-pandemic is still true that you're more that the that those who can work remotely up to seventy percent of the time are more engaged. Uh, Than than those who come in all the time or those who who are fully remote, that that flexibility. And when people started working, you know, when they had to work remotely, right? And they said, "Ooh, I kind of like this. I like." And the number one reason is I'd rather have the fifteen foot commute than fight traffic for an hour each way. The commute because commute sucks. I mean, it's stressful, and there's between and that average length of the commute, no matter where you're in the country, is thirty minutes. That's the average. That's an hour a day. That's five hours that gets lost in the, in the week. Mm-hmm. So, so that disruption is here to stay. And forcing people to come back in doesn't work because they'll leave. But when we decide as a team, when I have a say on when I come back into work, I'm more engaged. And the team decides. And you also have to make it worth my while. Because if I'm coming into the office and I'm doing the same thing that I could do at home in my home office, mm -mm. we got to be doing something different that's going to add value to me that makes it worth my while to come in. So what are some of the things we can do? And we all decide, you know, okay, if we're coming in two, three days a week, what are those days going to be? And what are those going to look like? And we make a commitment. We make that decision as a team. And I have a say in that. And then, then it works. But the mandates don't. <laughs> so, yeah, those are some of the things that we're
1: seeing. In That's that interesting. Yeah, you know, it's funny because when we talk, when I've talked to people, um, we're gonna we're gonna go to break, so I might not be able to, you know, get this question, get get an answer from you. But when I when I've been interviewing people, and we say, what do you think of, you know, the hybrid workplace that you know my client has set up or one of my clients has set up, and they go, I love it for the reason you just said. First of all, I don't have to I don't have to fight the traffic. I don't have the cost and time of the commute, but the other thing is, is that I can have lunch with my wife. I can have lunch with yeah. my kids or I can have dinner with my family. Mm-hmm. And then when they go to bed, if I got something I have to wrap up, I can do it. Otherwise, it used to be I'd have to stay late in the office and I'd miss dinner, I'd miss the kids going to bed and that kind of stuff. So they people have found ways to have a, an extended work day when necessary, uh-huh. but they also get the they get to connect with the people <laughs> that are most important to them.
2: Exactly. And that was the realization. Wait a minute. I want to do something that has value to my life. <laughs> hey, I can do work. I can, ha- yeah, I can, you know what? I can take the kids to school and I can still be on time for my meeting and I can come in, I can have lunch with my wife, I can have dinner. Yeah, I like this because it's not about work anymore it's about life and how right. does work fit into my life
1: and we're not and we're not um you know on a pod we're we're, we're goofing off to start you know, the traditional way it looks like that we're goofing off but the reality is is that we are now like you said earlier on we're blending together my work and my personal life in a way that allows me to be productive mm-hmm. and you know me, have meaningful connections and engagements at the all the levels that are important to me so um when we can when we come back, I'm gonna to talk to you a little bit more about this disruption because it to me it's yeah. it's it's fascinating um the way the rules are being written as we as we're sitting here, the new mm-hmm. rules being written. So when we come back from our break, we're gonna talk with Al a little bit more about engagement and disruption in the workplace and of course those crazy millennials. Stay tuned. <laughs>
3: Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. We are living in a time where a relentless commitment to opinions and beliefs are dividing communities and fracturing crucial relationships. Making ourselves right and those who disagree with us wrong leaves little room for engaging in a constructive learning dialogue. There is little opportunity to change minds, find common ground, or solve complex problems. Those who are not being heard or understood become angry, hurt, lost, isolated, alone, and more. While mental health-related issues are on the rise, too few know how to safely share their struggles, and far too many don't know how to care about those that do. While it is increasingly frustrating to experience an increase in this communication divide, there is hope. And according to David Cook, there is an answer. The answer lies in how we adjust our communication style and shift our listening behaviors. In his radio show, Stop Telling and Start Listening, host David Cook introduces his audiences to the power found in creating a safe place for sharing life perspectives and experiences without judgment, criticism, correction, or shame there are tremendous opportunities in learning to see the world from the eyes of another. Join David on Mondays at 11 Pacific. Discover how shifting your listening behaviors will close the divide that exists between you and others in your community. It's your world.
0: Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Stop Telling and Start Listening. Have a question for David or his guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Or you can email Dave at dave at thecookgroupllc.com. Now, back to the show with David.
1: And we're back. This is David Cook, Stop Telling and Start Listening with Al Winsman from Gallup. You know, Al, I kind of joked was as we took our break, I kind of said, and those millennials. Um, But I'm popped in my head as I said, that is I'm going to come back to the millennials um, because we hear a lot of talk about people don't have the same work ethic today that, you know, me, we had 30, 40 years ago. And I'm sure you have data on that or you have at least you have perspective so tell us tell us the truth about that statement
2: yeah well it's not really true
3: (laughs) next question yeah next
2: question no okay (laughs) well so here so here's what we know is that is kind of the change of the rules and what we see that millennials have brought and again, as i said earlier that is the largest percentage of workers in the workforce both in the u.s and globally are millennials um and the largest number of managers, percentage of managers are millennials. Mm. Um, and so they bring a different perspective. They're really this, and, and we did a, a study of millennials. It was the largest study of this kind. This about oh, it's about six years ago when they were really kind of coming into the workforce in full force at that time. We, we did a million interviews and about 30 different types of studies to kind of look at this. And what we found is some shifts that millennials are bringing. Uh just because kind of their perspective on on i think what what i'll i can say a little bit more about is the emotional economy behavioral economics, and it is a shift from first of all uh from from a focus on satisfaction to a focus on development um it's not about making me happy at work it's about what are my developmental opportunities um it's making that shift from uh from boss to coach I want to coach. Making that shift from annual performance reviews to ongoing conversations. Um, it's a it, and it's a shift from paycheck to purpose. You know, yeah, paycheck is important, but purpose is more important. I mean and you know, and if I'm not finding it one place, what 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 millennials kind of brought to things is kind of a, a standard now as a side hustle, right? I'll cobble two to three get go- two, three jobs together to to make enough income until I find something that will suit my purpose, but I'm not gonna stop working. Mm-hmm. Um and then also, uh, development used to mean focusing on my weaknesses. Let's fix those. But really, it's about focus on strengths because that's where I get excellent performance. And in the past, it was about my job. Now it's about my life. And so these are the kinds of the shifts. And this is really, this is really behavioral economics coming into full force into the workplace. And the millennials have kind of ushered it in. And and you know, I look at those changes, and I've asked this a lot of times because. Uh, uh you know both both my daughters are Millennials so that day that puts us kind of in that same age category there but uh um uh and and I'll ask so how many of you are not Millennials and this is important to you And by like you know just better be to raise their hand yeah this is behavioral economics this is you know kind of a focus on people and and really kind of how how we come together and what Millennials have done is, is is in a lot of ways you know question the rules and rewrite the rules um and Gen Z is kind of following in that footsteps too uh when we think about managing uh gen z and we we don't know as much yet about Gen Z, but we will uh, as they start coming through uh coming through and in, in full
1: force into the workplace you've you talked about this several times um in our conversation about managing to strengths. what does that mean? Yeah.
2: Yeah, so one of the things when we measure engagement and 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 by the way, uh engagement it you know it's a hot topic in the workforce but engagement was not a workplace concept until Gallup defined it back in the 1990s. Uh, up until then it was all about satisfaction but we define engagement and define that differently, you know, because what drives outcomes. And one of the key measures of engagement is this, and this is a, a, a you know ranking on a scale of five with with five strongly agree, one strongly disagree. At work, I have the opportunity to do what I do best every day. Now, it doesn't say all day every day, and it doesn't say I only do what I do best every day, because, you know, every job has cheers and chores. But doing what I do best every day, at least part of every day, and the higher percentage of time I can spend doing that that's what makes that difference, and it all begins with fit to role. Okay, am I in a role that makes the best use of my talents and strengths? That I can grow and develop. That I can that I can really focus on the things that come easiest to me, and then how then do I kind of push and stretch within that role or even beyond? But it's that opportunity to do what I do best, and 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 making sure that people are doing, you know what they're really wired to do. You know, Donna Clifton said it this way, you know, square pegs fit better in square holes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, that profound wisdom, you know, so let's find a role that fits who you are and let's help you do more of what you do best and, and, and manage, not try to fix, but manage those areas that might get in the way. You know, I think about it. Um, I, I I would say you know that that if I think about my I I'm 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 pretty well organized, but structure, routine, precision, detail, those are not me. I'm more kind of creative and flow. But I've got to be organized, right? Mm-hmm. And so to put me in a role that requires that kind of precision and detail, mm, it's just going to you know suck the life right out of me. But if I can be in a role where I can create, where I can think, when I can get a breakthrough and when I can kind of, you know, help ask the right questions to help people kind of see where they are. So, so, that, so that whole idea of getting the people in the right role and managing to strengths, starting by asking some questions, right? You know, it's like, hey, let's talk about what you do in the last 30 to 90 days at work that you're most proud of as a manager. And you ask that, what'd you do? let's talk about that what was different about that time what were some of the things that made it so so enjoyable and that you're most proud of let's learn from those and now how can we get more performance like that in the future okay let's talk about that that's a strengths-based approach to managing that really helps people do what they do best more often and show up as the best version of themselves more often
1: that's very powerful um, so, so it's kind of like, you know, you used a sports analogy earlier, but you know, everybody wants, you know, the, the idea being is when we're growing up, everybody wants to be the quarterback, but some people aren't equipped to be the quarterback. And there's some mm-hmm. people that, you know, don't want to be quarterback, but we don't, but they look like, gosh, but you're really, you're a great athlete. I have no capacity for being a quarterback. What else can I do? And so <laughs> that's what you're saying is you find a role that fits their skill set, Yeah. Or at least, and it, and you said it doesn't have to be all eight hours or all 10 hours it doesn't have to be the whole work day but we we do our best to plug them in where the most where they do the best they do it the most or they mm-hmm. do it often right yeah
2: yeah and that's the thing and, and that 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 opens up a whole new idea about what development means because development used to mean promotion right mm-hmm. And you know the Peter Principle—you just promote people to their level of incompetence, and then they leave the company and they go start over again when they can really do what they do well. And you lost somebody great, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so development development a lot of times is are you creating heroes in every role, and how are you people how are you helping people achieve world class performance in the role that really fits who they are, and that's where um I in, in first break all the rules kind of our first business bestseller there was this one snippet that I just love it was a sales rep who came to his manager and he said your job as my manager is to make sure I'm never promoted again I, <laughs> yeah I love what I'm doing I never I never thought I'd have the impact this is where I want to be please don't promote me
1: <laughs> that's awesome
2: and so was, with somebody like that it's okay what do you want to learn how can we help you get to be world class? What do you What do you see that you can add to this to get you to that next level? Because people who are world class, they never they never think they plateaued, right? You know, you think about again sports analogies. The the best at what they do. I mean, going back to quarterbacks, they all have a, they all have a quarterback coach in the off season. Right. That helps them then get better at what they do to take a look at some things to help them do that. And, and they, and the people who are a world-class at what they do, they just want to keep getting better.
1: Got it. But they want to keep getting better at where they're, where they where exactly. their skill set suits mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's huge. You know, you talked about what this, you know, maybe this is, I hope this is like a natural progression to the next thing, but mm-hmm. um, you know, I was, I sat in on a, Why I didn't sit in. I contributed to a conversation on LinkedIn where people were talking about the difference between leaders and managers. And this is again, this is Dave pontificating a little bit, but you know what? I one of the things that concerns me is is that we've gotten going before this big transition. We got into a mode I think where managers were basically managing output. They were they were they were forming on an assembly line. (laughs) It's all about production. And a lot of the things that you're talking about, to me, we could say managers because that's their title. But what you're what I I'm going to use this word and you can play with it and move it around Mm -hmm. how you want. But a leader is the coach, the visionary, sees the talent, develops in a manager. To me, in this context of the of my question is somebody just kind of like make sure the work gets done. Mm-hmm. And what you're, what you're, what I hear you saying is, is that we need to develop leaders in the organization to develop the talent and the, and the performance of the of the group. Is it, would that does that make sense? Or
2: well, yeah, and kind of the current, and kind of the current thinking that that the phrase manager has kind of gotten uh gotten a bad reputation and short shrift. I just gave it. <laughs> I just I, I reinforced that. <laughs> Um because, because of kind of the, the vision of what managers are, when we look at any organization, we see that there are kind of three broad strokes of of kind of broad categories where people fit in. You've got individual contributors, and then you've got managers, then you've got leaders. Now, leaders, when we talk about leaders, we're talking about. The uh, uh, the 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 role of leadership, not the behaviors of leadership. We're looking at that role of executive leadership, and we're looking at the talent for each of those kind of three levels, um, and and what that takes. Because we would say this: that the most important decision that any organization will ever make is who they hire to manage people. Mm-hmm. Most important decision, because nobody has kind of the the the, the influence that managers have. So we talk about this when we're looking at kind of those roles. But Now, we want everybody to act like a leader, right? Because the behaviors of leadership are, you know, the, the vision of, of promoting the values of the organization. And even though I'm an individual contributor, I, I try to be a leader in the organization to, to, to have that kind of influence. When we look at kind of those three roles and the way they're wired, individual contributors, when we know about the best and study the talent of individual contributors, people are wired to do that. They're confident in their abilities to deliver, uh, to deliver great work. They collaborate well with others. Uh, they 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 take their performance to higher levels. They they work well with the customers. They provide great customer service, and they're kind of wired. If we think about it, the one word they're wired to deliver. They deliver on the expectations. Then you've got leaders, and and leaders. Leaders are wired to look outside the organization. We talk about executive leaderships. They look outside. They set, they, 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 they kind of set the direction. They anticipate. I had a mentor one time who said the role of a leader is to see a little bit farther over the horizon than anybody else. And that's what they do. And they and they and they look and they anticipate the threats to the organization. And they and they and they look at kind of where we're going to be and set the direction. Leaders direct. Managers, on the other hand, are wired to look inward. They look inside the organization. Part of it is looking inside the organization, systems and processes. How do we make them better? But they're primarily primarily wired to look inside each person on the team. Mm. Because the world's greatest managers, what we know is that they wake up every single morning thinking about each person on their team and how they can set them up for success today. What they do more than anything else is develop their people. They invest in their people. So you're talking about the same thing, right? You're Mm -hmm. coaching, investing, getting the most out of them. They're wired to develop. And so if we're thinking about the alliteration, the three D's, you know, senior leaders direct, managers develop, and individual contributors deliver. And that's where we would see that in 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 terms of of looking at and, and kind of looking at the delineation of those roles. And so you kind of the leadership that, that I think that you're talking about is kind of those behaviors of leadership, is acting like a leader no matter what role you're in.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, even though those are some of the kinds of the three things, managers a lot of times have to kind of play in all three areas, right? Because I mean, you know this as well as 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 any of us. Most managers today are what we call working managers, right? We want you to lead this team of people, but just keep doing your other job too. <laughs> and then you're in charge of this team. And here's what you're responsible for. Here are the metrics. Here's kind of the systems processes, what you're looking for with your deliverables. Oh, and you have these people, which shouldn't be a problem because you're a people too just kind of lead them to 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 deliver the goods. Mm. And 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 what happens with managers is they realize what got me here isn't going to get me here. And they got to learn it all over again mm-hmm. because they're used to being. Most managers get to be managers because they were great individual contributors, and that's kind of the next step. Yeah. And then they got to learn a whole different way of, 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 of behaving.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny because you know being being in sales, and I've been you know was in sales in the first half of my career. Second half of my career I was a, a crazed consultant. But um, you know we would we would learn the lesson. Somebody was a great salesperson. We'd promote them to being a manager. And mm-hmm. It was a disaster <laughs> because you know what made the person a great salesperson was their individual, their ability to connect and engage and build relationships, and but they really worked. Autonomously, most salespeople mm-hmm. are very autonomous. And it's like, okay, now you're so good at being autonomous, we're gonna make you part of this team that we want you to develop. Well, they it it was a disaster.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, yeah, is it's a lot of times we find that a lot of times sales managers can't stop competing against the people who are supposed to be developing. Mm-hmm. And, and what we see, and, I, and I've seen this also, I see this play out in a lot of different areas, because a lot of times, what we see from, from, from people who are promoted, particularly sales managers, who don't necessarily have the talent to be great managers, I want you to be good, but I want you to be better than me.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and I see this a lot of times in, in, in the in NCAA Division One football. When you see the coordinator, the young hotshot coordinator who's great as a coordinator, gets to be promoted to a a head coach, most of them will not hire great coordinators. They'll hire people who, because I'm supposed to be the defensive whiz here. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to be better than me. And they have real struggles. The ones that make it are the ones who get that big picture. But it's the same thing. The managers, right? The sales managers. (laughs) It's like yeah, that was good, but I could do it so much better. And they missed the thrill of the hunt, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. man, they missed the thrill of the hunt. But that's where the money is, is yeah. in sales management.
1: Right. Yeah. And, well, you know, you using the football, the other, you know, the other part of the football analogy that, for me, the sports thing is, and there are exceptions, but it, it um, when I look at, uh, if you were to like go down and, and all the great coaches in different sports and stuff like that, most of the great coaches weren't superstar athletes. Exactly. They were students of the game. Mm-hmm. They were second and third stringers. They rode the pine, but they studied the game and understood the dynamics of the game and the team and stuff like that. And those individuals became great coaches, the superstars. Because they were on the field playing the game and they were part of the, you know, that dynamic of success. They didn't see the whole thing coming together. They only were part of what was coming together. And so great superstar athletes, they don't, you know, they, and I'm not going to say they all fail, but they're usually not as successful. Yeah. <laughs> as, yeah. as, as the bench warmer who just studied the game or the, or the ins- insignificant contributor on the team, you know, the guy who played maybe 12, you know, fifth man or sixth man off the bench or whatever like that.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, it's interesting as, as you're saying that I'm thinking about in, in pros, a lot of the superstars, they're pretty good in the front office. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it comes to coaching, no, or, or you think about it sometimes that they, they come back in the, in the college ranks and they're pretty good athletic directors mm-hmm. because they got a sense for what needs to be done, but actually the coaching, no, I'm going to stay out of the, I'm saying stay out of the coach's way because yeah, you're right. The student of the game,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a rel- you know, and I always related it back to the, my sales manager promotion mm-hmm. experience. But um, you know, the, I'm going to shift a little bit on here because one of the yeah. other things that I'm concerned about, you know, this is sorry about going back to remote work environment, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah, one of my biggest concerns uh, um, when I look at the remote work and, and all the benefits that it has. My concern is, is that how do we is is losing touch mm-hmm. because there's a lot of impromptu conversations, impromptu development, um, things that just happen to happen because people started talking in the office about something mm-hmm. and it leads to something else and and stuff like that. Um, it's early. Maybe you guys don't have data on that, but what are your thoughts yeah. on the threats that we have as organizations in this remote hybrid work is great? Mm-hmm. But what are we risking losing that we were getting before?
2: Yeah. And and you're right on target. And that does some of the things that shows our research is that collaboration uh goes down. And also what's interesting, which we've got to turn around, is is we ask this question, our company always delivers on its promises to our customers. That score has dropped over the past two, three years. Mm. And so there's something about the collaboration. There's something about being together that makes that difference. And I think one of the things that, um, and and that's why this is so difficult. This is the, I mean, this is the topic of you know, our, our, I sound like a book salesman here, but our our our, our latest book is uh, uh, Culture Shock, which looks at the whole the whole change of what's happening. And that's where that's where again hybrid hybrid with opportunities when I come back, when I'm in the office, to, to do things that I couldn't do remotely, part of that. The other thing with fully remote is is it takes manager intentionality, okay? You've got to be intentional about reaching out and, and connecting. And the people who are working remotely have got to be intentional about connecting. So I just use myself as an example. Um, I was, so before the pandemic, you know, 95% of my life was travel. I uh, get on a plane, I come back, then the pandemic hit, we shut everything down and we changed everything to virtual. Mm-hmm. And I and and um I worked from home before the pandemic. In in 2019, I had an office in Omaha that I would see every 6 months, 6 weeks, yeah, maybe 6 months, but you know, they said we need your we need your office space uh because we've got more people. Can you work at home? Sure, I'm never here. So I've been working at home and I and our team is remote. But we've made, we've been very intentional about connecting with each other, and particularly in the opening times of the pandemic, our manager very intentional about reaching out and connecting us because I've I've got a group that I you know I touch we touch base you know probably once a week or so of of peers in my group, so the intentionality has to be there right because you because the spontaneity doesn't happen as much so there needs to be intentionality wow. around how do we connect.
1: So, so you go from trusting the impromptu to taking the risk out and making sure that we do something to to establish a routine yeah. a connection, a connecting routine.
2: Yeah. One of the things one of our team members came up with early in the pandemic was take five and we're each going to do this twice, twice a week and we're going to take five minutes and we're going to call, pick up the phone. We're not going to send a text. We're going to pick up the phone, call one of our teammates for a five-minute conversation about anything. Take and five. so that became part of who we are, you know, the take five. And when we get busy, you know, it's like, okay, I can see I need another, I need to take five. And so I just call on my teammates. And so those are some of the kinds of things, those intention of, of again, being intentional about what used to be spontaneous.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. Sadly, we're running out of time. Yeah. Um, wow. Um, <laughs> I know it goes so it goes so quick. So I didn't, I didn't, you know, tee it up much, but if you could do um a one-minute pitch on Gallup. Um, we'll use that to wrap up the show. I'll I'll, I'll close yeah. this out. But tell me, tell everybody a little mm-hmm. bit about um, Gallup and what you do there. But do the best you can to keep yep. it to a minute.
2: Yep, two minutes. So if you go to Gallup.com, you will find out a little bit of who we are. And and really, we we exist. One of the things we do is is, is analytics and, and advice about everything that matters to help solve the world's biggest problems. That's what we do. And we consult with or we, we do a lot of business consulting. We do a, our, our Gallup World Poll uh, gets the opinions of 98% of the world's population that we, that we relay on to and work with senior leaders and governments around. But it's really about how do we make the world a better place and create great places to work and focus on people's strengths. Um, you know, the Gallup, the Clifton Strengths assessment, we've got uh, over close to 30 million people globally have taken that. Um, and so we do strengths coach certification, we do coaching, uh, consulting around around helping helping uh helping create the that, that environment where people can do their best work and kind of keep our keep our finger on the pulse of the world.
1: Awesome. Yeah, you know, well, my experience has been great so far, you know, a couple of years or three years of uh of stuff with Gallup and I yeah. really Again, I hate to like race out the door, but we ran out of time, Al. I th- I really do appreciate your time on this. Um, and I'm going to have to get you back because this is like so much. I want more. But uh, for the rest of you guys, have a great week. And remember, yes. open your hearts, open your minds, open your ears, because the minute you start listening, everything changes. Everybody have a great week.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Dave.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Stop Telling and Start Listening. We hope you've picked up on some useful ideas to help you enhance your conversational skills. Until we listen again, have a beautiful week.